0: on it's your boy again doing a weekly podcast about a daily activity that all of us are called to to be everyday missionaries and so i am uh, boswell the host of this podcast this is episode 197 and i am bringing it to you uh recorded from the mad cave right and that's why i decided i should call this place now because it's a bright sunny day out there and in here it's the Mad Cave, so I figured I'd say it like uh, the Christian Bale style of Batman. One night, I'm also saying it that way because I don't know about you all, but man, allergies have just been devastating me the last couple of days. In fact, there's been moments where I'm talking and then my voice just goes away, just vanishes. Right, uh, and so I've got a little bit of a voice going on, and I feel like I could just exploit it for today. But then I feel like I'm gonna go down roads I don't really need to go down, and that's getting weird. Okay, so hey, that is not what I'm talking about today, though. Again, it is uh, amazing how how much the allergies in the last two days have just been keeping me up at night and everything else. In fact, I was trying to hold off on the podcast. Like maybe it's going to be okay enough to where I don't suddenly go into like 12 year old prepubescent mode and my voice changes and everything else, but it just wasn't leveling out. So I'm just drinking a bunch of my coffee out of my happy Yeti here, which if you don't have a Yeti, I know they're kind of trendy, but that, that I put hot coffee in there, and somehow the laws of thermodynamics fall apart, and it gets hotter in there. I, I, I'm certain of it. Like I don't know how it heats up more without power to it. There's no ordered energy into my coffee, but boy, these things don't just keep the heat. They get the get the heat up a little bit. So, uh, okay, maybe I'm. It's in my head maybe a little bit, but it feels like that. So anyway, Yetis yeah, these are fantastic. Again, not a sponsorship, not a product placement, just something I really dig. So something to think about. So uh, today's topic, right, as we get underway, uh, I was all over the map. I had like, you know, I, I tend to keep post-it notes here in front of me at my desk with ideas that I might want to do a podcast on. And, and I was very tempted, actually, and I'm just going to comment on this for a minute. Might actually do this down the road, but I was very tempted to uh, do a thing. I'm going to turn my phone off here because it's deciding it, it just has to make noise right now, which is not necessary. Um, so I was reading an article this week where Dave Ramsey's company, Ramsey Solutions, is being sued by a former employee, actually more than one. But one particular story is uh, where this woman had shared with HR that she was planning her maternity leave. Uh, she was due in like 12 weeks. And, and so she wanted to just arrange that stuff. And then uh, HR discovered or found out or asked or whatever else uh, th- that she is not married but having this child. And so they terminated her employment because when you go to work for Ramsey Solutions, you sign a kind of a moral – our ethical code statement when you work for Dave Ramsey's company, she violated that by being pregnant while not being married, and therefore they terminated her employment and terminated her health benefits at the same time, so she was going into having a child with no benefits, right? So that's kind of the long story short of that whole thing, and I was going to talk about it for a couple of different reasons. The the, the primary ideas I have here are are probably related to the idea that uh, while churches can have... Uh, a certain level of discriminatory power, and I know that sounds kind of negative, but what religious rights allows religious organizations to do is to maintain their religious code. So if uh, you're running a mosque, and then you decide you no longer believe in Allah, the mosque can fire you because they're like, you don't believe like we believe. You've changed your faith system and we're allowed to terminate you. Or if you're a Protestant pastor and you have an affair, the church is allowed to terminate you because you had an affair. Uh, Or Any other number of things that may be, quote, private time, off-site time, whatever else, they are not going to say, hey, you're still good at doing your job, even though you had an affair. You're still good at doing your job, even though you don't believe. We have the ability to actually then terminate over faith-based or moral-based things in religious organizations because of our religious freedom policy, right? That's just true to those organizations. Businesses are different. And Dave Ramsey's company, he says he seeks to run it as a Christian company, but it's actually... A for-profit company. It's not a church necessarily. And so it's under discrimination laws. And so the company can't discriminate for all these sorts of things. Now, uh, Tennessee is you know kind of the I can fire you for any reason kind of state. And so based on that, he's looking at this and looking at the fact that when employees go to work for Ramsey Solutions, they have to sign this moral code document. And therefore, you know what you're getting into before you start here. That's kind of the attitude they have, right? Where I was thinking about this is But businesses also know going into this before they start that they are held to non-discrimination policy issues. And if you do something that looks like you're firing a person in a way that looks discriminatory, you're going to face that as well. So this is what's interesting to me is that I think Ramsey's trying to run it like it's a church, but he's going to come in contact now with these discrimination laws And uh, they must see that there is some potential that they're not going to win this because they did offer a settlement to this woman. She rejected the settlement. She wants it to go to court. I think she's trying to make a point on all of this uh, and that kind of thing. What was interesting to me is not so much that. And that's why I think I'm going to wait till it all shakes out and then I'll probably talk about it. I do think it is interesting because I was reading the comments on the article I was reading and people are like, she should have never worked there if she had to sign that document. That's stupid. That's on her. She knew what she was going to be dealing with before she had to deal with it. And and I'm like, yeah, that's really true. But again, Dave Ramsey opened a business knowing he was going to deal with discrimination issues before he ever had to deal with that. And so if you sign up to open a business and then you want to fire people because you don't like what they do at home on their own private time you know, and in a way that doesn't have any negative impact directly on how they do their job, you're gonna run into that too. So I was kinda of looking at all that, going, ah man, this is gonna be interesting from a legal perspective. I'm gonna to wait to see what the court says before I have much commentary on that. That was not so much my thing. Here is my thing really quick, and I feel like this is now turning into the podcast I said I wasn't gonna do. Um, but it's gonna then relate to maybe the topic of the day a little bit slightly. I can build a small little stringy bridge to get us there. So Uh, But what was interesting to me is that the premise of, I think, this, this statement, this code of conduct and ethics is related to the fact that Ramsey wants to run this organization like it's a Christian business. When I was reading some of his statements on his website about this, and when I was reading some of the other things and then listening to some of the things that he has recorded before his teams on some of this, the one thing I found strange was how little it sounded Christian to me. And and that, maybe that was the thing that most struck me. I, I was thinking about this and saying, if you want to just simply be an Old Testament law organization, that's pretty easy. Then you can just have a moral code if you want to be a christian organization now it ups the ante because what being christian's all about is not you know a bunch of rules and laws what it actually is about is forgiveness extended in grace to sinners by a loving and kind god right who takes our sin and forgives us our sins and by his grace gives us the position of righteousness. And therefore, the essence of the Christian life is altogether different than just simply the legal code of the law. It has this other value in it. And then from that, we're meant to love God and love our neighbor and love our enemy and do all the things we've learned about in this podcast as far as things we see in the Sermon on the Mount. And we're to ooze those types of things because that's different than the world. The world operates off of rules and principles and laws all the time and even moral codes. If we're talking about moral codes, Uh, We're hardly the religion to look to as being the most exhaustive on moral code. You know, there's many religions that have pretty exhaustive moral codes, many of which are far deeper, longer, and have more complexity than Protestant kind of Christianity, which is of the kind of the lot that Dave Ramsey is a part of. And so I'm listening to this, and I'm reading some of his words and hearing some of his stuff, and he's talking about, if you don't like this, well, tough, it pisses me off that you don't like it, or don't let the door hit you in the ass on your way out. Like stuff like that. And I'm listening to that going, there is a, there is a, almost like this. I, I want to always be cautious when I um, talk about words that sound like I'm, I can suddenly divine a person's heart. So maybe I want to be cautious here. He sounds. Proud. He sounds arrogant. I'm not saying he is proud and is arrogant. But when you're saying stuff like that, you can't just say, hey, listen, we have this code here. It's for the good of you, the good of the company. We care about your heart. We care about your spiritual growth. We want you to, to thrive in everything. And so this is why we have this. That's like one way to approach it. But the other way is to say, you know what, I can hire and fire at will, which is kind of what he's saying. If I don't like the fact that your eyes are green, I can fire you. Now, I'm not arbitrary like that, he says, but if I wanted to, I could. And, and that whole thing of like, it's this power thing, this authority thing. It's going to be my way. And if you don't like it, I, I, I'm, I'm free to fire you. Don't piss me off like this. And don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. Like none of that sounds terribly Christian to me. And then when I apply it to this scene here with this woman, i go, is it Christian that you cut her insurance just before she was half-ended child? Did you give her room to even repent? Did you give her room to say, I I made a mistake, forgive me? Was there forgiveness ever offered in that? And if you go, well, sure, there was forgiveness practically, but there wasn't forgiveness from kind of a tangible point of view. She's going to get fired no matter what, but we can say, hey, we're sorry about that. We forgive you. Go on. I just couldn't help but read all of this and try to follow the story. And all the more I thought there was nothing unique about that company's being Christian, right? In fact, if anything, it was like Christianity was at the top of the header, but the content didn't look a lot like Jesus or a lot like the stuff that we cherish, like forgiveness and grace and restoration. It had a cancel culture kind of thing attached to it from a guy that would lament cancel culture. And so all the more, it just makes me realize that as we are doing things in business and church and life in the community, in whatever context we are, if we're really going to do it Christian, we need to pin down what is most Christian for a Christian? Because again, if it's laws and rules, that's Judaism. If it's truly Christian, then it's the Sermon on the Mount, the stuff of the cross, what it accomplished, what it does in our lives. And we're all going to be failures. I mean, that was the thing I couldn't help but notice. I'm like, if there's an ethical code of conduct, even at Dave Ramsey's company, he himself may need to look in the mirror on some of that, if it's truly rooted in a Christian thing. Now, if it's, again, just rooted in kind of a general moral code, mostly about sexuality, that's going to maybe be pretty short-sighted on a number of levels. And so, all the more, it just makes me think, like, how's the world going to see what's truly Christian? If we can't figure out how to do it in our workplaces, if we can't show and highlight and magnify forgiveness and grace and going the extra mile for a person that maybe they dug their own hole and got into their own problem. But guess what? That's the human race. And Jesus doesn't say, well, hey, you know what? Figure it out. I met you halfway. You got to go to the rest of the way. That's not how he does it, right? He goes 100% for us. Uh, and, and from that, that is the essence of grace and gospel. And we want to exhibit that. And that, to me, like that situation with this woman, I go, what an awesome opportunity they had to show <clears throat> how particularly Christian they are. Instead, it felt like they're moral, maybe less so that they're Christian. And again, there's I think there's a lot more to unpack. I'm even cautious in talking about this today because, again, there's a lot of unknowns in the story to me. Like I go – you know, lawyers are going to say what they want to do. Articles are going to be written. What the angles are going to have. Both sides are going to talk about stuff. You got to take all that with a grain of salt. But just from the bare essence of what I was looking at, I thought, man, what a beautiful opportunity is one person posted. Well, she should have just got an abortion. She would have never lost her job. And I'm like, that's kind of what I'm thinking here. Like, how tragic that. If she would have just quietly went and done that, then then she would have kept her job, kept her benefits, everything else. Instead, she decides she's going to have this child, and that's where she's getting penalized. Again, this is where even our pro-life sensibilities need to grab hold in a different sort of way, and we need to maybe do things a little bit differently. So anyway, just something I was thinking about. Um now, how do I build that to the topic of the day? Well, yeah, it's a string, but I wanted to talk about dealing with disappointment. All right, and maybe where I kind of tied the string there is again. You know, I'm certain that Dave Ramsey's company was disappointed in this woman's conduct. I'm sure this woman's disappointed in Dave Ramsey's conduct. Uh, I know in my world, I'm looking at this. I'm going. I'm disappointed in the circumstance and situation, but then more deeply. In our everyday lives, we face things where disappointment is going to strike. And I'm trying to think this through from the perspective of dealing with disappointment as a disciple of Jesus. That's different than dealing with disappointment as a human being, dealing with disappointment... Um, as an American, which I think Americans sometimes, we really do struggle with, with grappling with disappointment. I think because we believe we can be anything we want to be or do anything we want to do or, you know, it's, it's about fulfilling my dreams. And when they don't happen, our disappointments seem higher than in other cultures where they have less and disappointments just a daily routine. And so they get really good at disappointment. Maybe we struggle with a little bit more. And so I just wanted to run through some things about how we deal with disappointment, uh, from a Jesus centric perspective from a biblical perspective, right? So I'm going to be dipping into the Old Testament a little bit to deal with this, and then I'm going to jam us into the New Testament to kind of remind us of some simple principles. And here's the first thing I think is really important. So I'm going to give you just some headers here. So the first thing, when it comes to disappointment, is very simple. You must be honest with yourself about your disappointment. Here's what I mean by that. Sometimes when we're disappointed, we rant, we, we, we get angry. We talk about how unjust this is or unjustified this person was or whatever, you know, there's just this rage. But part of what this means is deep down inside, you have to be honest with yourself and say, I feel hurt. I feel shamed. I feel wounded. Like you just got to identify what's really going on inside there. I, I feel like this person was for me and now they're against me. And I didn't know that was going to happen. And I just, I just feel deeply wounded internally. Like, The first step is not Again, to be anything less than just identifying what's actually rotating in your own heart and mind, because I think it's very easy to project it out, and we want to just lash out in that. But that's not being honest with yourself necessarily. I think that honesty says, "Hey, you know what? I've I just was wounded by a circumstance. I thought it was going to go A, it ended up going B. I'm trying to keep a tough exterior, but you might be brooding on that, or again, I am just railing against the world over my disappointment. And and instead, you just got to say, "You know what? This makes me a little bit fearful." This makes me a little bit discouraged. I want to go climb into a hole, like just those simple things, right? You just got to be honest with yourself about what you're really feeling. And you want to center on that because of the second thing you want to do, which is then you want to go to God and be honest with God about what it is you're feeling. Because here's what happens too often. We just kind of spin within ourselves, right? We get in the cul-de-sac of our own convictions on a thing and we just go around and around and around like a little kid on a tricycle, right? Thinking that this is the only way in life is circular and we don't go to God with that. And that's where we get all those ugly thoughts, ugly feelings. We spin stuff up more. We, we pre motivations and other people, um, We make the circumstance maybe ten times worse than what it really is, because we can't let it go. We just keep recycling it and letting it swirl the drain, but not actually fall through. Like all that stuff is what we're tempted to do. And this is where we wanted them be honest with God and say, God, here's what I'm feeling, here's where I'm scared, here's where I'm frustrated, here's where I'm angry. In fact, this is what we see in David throughout the Psalms. Last night I went to bed and just Turned on the Psalms, just started listening to them. And, and I love to do that every once in a while because I think there's something powerful about the model we see in David. And you'll see often with the first batch of his Psalms, he was just dumping loads on God, right? And sometimes he's wrong. Like he's just completely wrong, but he's dealing with his grief or his disappointment or his anger or whatever it is. And he's like, God, this is how I'm feeling. This is what I think. Uh, I feel like you've screwed me over and you didn't show up for me. And my friends have totally abandoned me and this isn't fair. And I'm really, really angry. And I feel like I'm just sinking. I mean, the guy was a tortured artist for sure. Definite music position type all the way, right? Um, But that's just what he did. He just dumped everything on God, right? And so that's what you need to do. You need to dump it all before God. Even Peter says this, right? Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Sometimes those cares are saying, God, I don't think you care. Like, like if you cared, this wouldn't be my predicament, right? My kid wouldn't be doing this. My job wouldn't be doing that. My friend wouldn't be doing this. My marriage wouldn't be like this. My financial circumstance wouldn't be like this. You wouldn't have this person stab me in the back that I was trying to help out, whatever it is, right? But you just have to simply dump it. Now, it's not gonna stay there, but you gotta dump it there. Here's the third thing you wanna do, right? As much as you're being honest with yourself and you're being honest with God, you wanna be very careful who else you're, quote, honest with with, all right? And I put that in air quotes, right? Be careful about who you're honest with. Here's a few of these things. And this is where it gets to be distinctly Christian. Paul says in Philippians, don't grumble and complain, right? So here's what we don't want to do. We don't want to in the quest of dealing with disappointment is let 20 people know we're disappointed. We don't wanna go on Twitter, Facebook or whatever and say, hey world, I'm gonna tell you why I'm really, really frustrated buy this thing right now. I'm super disappointed, I got stabbed in the back, I had somebody to screw me over, blah, 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 blah. Like, like this is where we wanna be cautious because non-Christian eyes are watching and Christian eyes are watching. Everything teaches, our conduct teaches. And so while we may feel it and we're being honest with ourselves, we're being honest with God, don't be honest with the world about everything, right? Don't let it become an opportunity for grumbling and complaining. Because part of it is if I'm a disbelieving person and I want to consider Christianity, part of what I'm going to consider is, is there a net benefit? Is there an advantage to this thing? And I know that sounds kind of like just a marketing concept, But honestly, it's like, if I'm going to embrace this, it must be not only because it's true, but part of its truth is that it promises it's going to give life and peace and joy. And if these people are grumbling and complaining all the time and talking about how they're, you know, again, getting the short end of a stick... Well, they don't seem to weather problems in life any better than I do, right? So if anything, their faith is just going to restrict me from doing a lot of stuff I want to do. And it doesn't give me any benefit of helping me weather the problems that I face. And so this is why we as Christians want to realize that our witness should not be to grumble and complain. So as much as you're honest with yourself and honest with God, don't feel like you have to be, quote, honest with the world. Find one or two people that you can process that through. And as you're going to them and you're wanting to process that through, don't do it so you're like, I just want somebody I can vent to without end. No, it has, a, it's, it has a purpose. It's a tool. Like you do need to go and you do need to say, I'm really agonizing here. I'm really hurt here. I'm really freaked out here. I'm really struggling with anger here. But you're wanting that person to be a person that can help you. They're like a Sherpa to get you to the summit of dealing with the problem and come down the other side with relief and solution. Or at least somebody that is bearing a burden with you and fulfilling the law of Christ, Galatians chapter six, right? So that's where you want it to be. So you want to find that one person or two people, right? That's really important. Um, and then, and then, you know, make sure even in that it's a person that you know can authentically help you. Right. So if there's a person in your life and you know that if you go to them, they're just going to start to rant with you and it's just going to be turned into this cyclical uh, little endeavor of you're mad. Now, I'm mad. I'm mad for you. I'm mad with you. We're going to be mad together and we're going to vilify this other person. That's a bad idea. If you're going to begin to, you know, almost like make it a a slander or gossip session, that's really a bad idea. You don't want to do that. That's part of the grumbling and complaining. It turns into gossip and slandering. You don't want to do that. Right. That's not a good way to deal with disappointment. It only heightens your disappointment, right? But then in this is the fourth thing, resolve to resolve. I want to say that again. You want to resolve to resolve. In other words, as you're starting into this whole thing, you want to have in your head that the goal of this is to be at peace again. The goal of this is to let this go. The goal is to forgive or whatever else. Like that's your goal. So when we go back to David again, he would rant and complain to God and then he would pivot And he would say, but God, I know your truth. I know your word. I know your promises. I don't feel like you're looking out for me, but I know you're looking out for me. I don't feel like I'm going to make it through this flood, but I know you will put me on a rock. I don't think that this is going to play out in a way that is beneficial to my visions for life, but that's okay in the end that you are still God and you will vindicate me in whatever way you see fit. Like That was his resolve to resolve. He would fight his way through, punch his way through to anchoring himself in what is true, right? And so that's one thing you want to do in this resolve to resolve. You want to make sure you do that. The other thing you want to do in this is keep the big picture. The big picture is one day you will stand before Jesus and all the disappointments of life will be swept away, right? And so disappointment only lasts for a season. So don't extend your season, right? Any longer than you need to, but it's all going to go away at some point. And in this, you want to believe that God really is in control. So when a bad thing happens, when a disappointing event erupts into your life, you want to be reminded of the fact that Jesus said, Hey man, don't worry about this. Don't worry, right? If God has brought this into your life, it's for a reason. And instead of complaining about that, it's in your life, work and pray to figure out what the reason might be. So that from that, you can learn because again, everything teaches, including the things that disappoint us. In fact, I believe the things that disappoint us can teach us more and better than a lot of the other things in life. We don't do memos well. We do suffering well as far as a learning tool. And so we want our disappointment to teach. But then the other part of this is in resolving to resolve, resolve to not remain hurt or resolve to not grow bitter. A resolve to go to the person that maybe has disappointed you if it's a relational thing and make it right with them. Resolve to not say anything negative about those individuals who might have been the source of your disappointment, but just really try to be what Jesus said, which right? is like, hey man, if somebody curses you, you bless them. If somebody wants to harm you, you do good to them, right? I mean, that's it's hard, but that's what's Christian. See, I keep coming back to that. What makes Christianity compelling. It's not its rules and moral code. It's not necessarily its liturgy or anything like that. What makes it really compelling is lives so radically changed, they're not rattled to the point of ineffectiveness by the problems of the world. It's okay to be rattled. It's okay to be hurt. It's okay to be disappointed. It's okay to be initially kind of offended by something. It's okay to feel wounding. It is okay to do that. We just don't want to stay in that, right? We don't want to become sheepish in that or hardened in that. We don't become nasty people in that, right? We want all of it to come into our lives. We want it to have the concussion that it does. And then we want to relinquish this to the spirit. And we want to seek the word of God and the strength of God. We want to seek the heart of God in it. We want to then say, how can I even take this and have a Christ-centered response Not a human response, not an emotional response, not an Old Testament law response, which is what we want to do, get our righteous anger going, right? But a Jesus response. Because the more we can master that, the more we can deal with the discouragements of life, the despondent things, as a disciple of Jesus, where we lean into him him and let him have his life through us, people are going to see that. They're going to see something very different than the way the world faces disappointment. And it's a process that we have to work through internally, but we don't want to blab that out to the world, but rather we want to show the world that God is sufficient, that God is enough, that God is strong, that even when we are despairing, even to the point of death, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter, or 2 Corinthians chapter one, even when we're there, we know that it's going to teach us. And it's going to teach us how to be an encouragement to others when they face that as well. And it's going to teach us how to depend on the spirit to go through that so that he is the sustaining strength in our grief. And I believe the more we're like that and the world sees that, it will be compelling to the world and all the more we will be fulfilling our job as everyday missionaries.